welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. All right, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you fill my mouth with words and that you open hearts to hear what you need them to hear today. Amen. Amen. All right. Justin, amen. Thanks, so. Justin just messaged me because he's an encourager and he's for me. And he messaged me like a whole chunk of my sermon, which we haven't spoken about. So that's pretty cool. Um, feeling good about that. So what I want to do today is tick off some foundational beliefs. Just really quickly gloss over them because it's things I believe we've taught about before and things that we should already have cemented in our hearts. So we're going to go through a few points and say this is what we believe. And because of that, I've got some questions for you. Is that okay? Great. All right. So the first point that I want to establish as a foundational belief is that God chooses you to be in his family on purpose. Romans 8, 14 through 15 says, this is from the Amplified because I like the Amplified. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God or daughters of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading again to fear of God's judgment, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, the spirit producing sonship by which we cry joyfully, Abba, Father. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You are adopted. That means that you're chosen on purpose because of his kindness, and it brings him pleasure. John 1.12 says, But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. You have the right to be the child of God just by believing. Yeah? Just by believing. That's all you have to do. We already have God's full acceptance and approval. That's our first foundational point that I want us to agree on. God chooses you to be in his family on purpose. The second point I want us to agree on is that God is a good father who gives good gifts. This is one of our core beliefs at Echo Church. God is good. The ultimate display of his goodness is that he sent Jesus, his only and perfect son, to die for you. Yeah, to die for you. That is the ultimate display of goodness, to die for you. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from, a, from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Matthew 7.11 says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? How much more so? If we give good gifts to our children, how much more so does God want to give good gifts to you? We don't want to give bad things to our kids, right? We want to encourage them. We want to lift them up. We We love their birthdays and Christmas, giving them good things. How much more so, God? So that's the second foundational point I want us to agree God is a good father who gives good gifts. 
Can I get a timer up on that screen, please? Just conscious that eventually we all want to go and have some lunch. You're welcome. <laughs> the third foundational point that I want us to agree on is that we can be confident sons and daughters. What does it look like to be a confident son or daughter? Understanding his goodness towards you, his desire to have you in his family, and his goodness towards you will make you be a confident son or daughter. Right? We're not slaves. We don't have to crawl and beg. We are confident sons and daughters. Let me tell you a story about being a confident son or daughter. I'm 40-something years old, and I have a key... 40-something. I have a key to my parents' house. I've had it since I'm a teenager. And I still go to their house and I let myself in. And I yell out, I'm here. It's me. And this is what I do every single time without fail. I go into the kitchen, I open the fridge, and I look in the fridge. And my mum says, are you hungry? And I say, no. And my mum says, what are you looking for? I'm like, just seeing what you got. See if there's anything I want. I'm 40-something years old. I walk into their house and I look in their fridge and I'm going, I'm just seeing if you've got something I want. Because I know who I am. I know my identity as a daughter of the house. And I know that my parents give good gifts. I have rights that are afforded to me as a daughter of that house. My children grandchildren of the house, you should see their behaviour when they walk into my parents' house. <laughs> they start opening linen closets, looking for stuff. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, there's probably presents here for me. Why wouldn't there be? I'm a much-loved child of this house. Why wouldn't there be something here for me? Maybe you don't know your identity as a much-loved child of this house, of his house. Maybe, as Peter McHugh says, you're just renting that idea in your head and you haven't got it in your heart. And if that's the case, I encourage you, come see me. I'll give you some identity scriptures. You can meditate on them, get it straight who you are so that you can walk into the house and look for stuff that's good. So that's my third foundational point that I want to agree on before we start today. God chose you to be part of his family. He's a good father who gives good gifts. And understanding his goodness will cause you to live as a confident son or daughter of the house. We've established that you're invited to this table. And it's a place where good things are. There's good stuff on this table. One day I'm going to speak about what's on this table for you. Maybe two days. <laughs> Because there's stuff on this table for you. So here's my question for you today. Why are we not always choosing to be seated there? And I'm not just saying you're choosing not to be seated. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about whether you sit here sometimes. There might be days or moments when you choose not to sit. Why? Why are we choosing that? That's all we're going to talk about today.
We're going to talk about some reasons why you might not be accepting that invitation. <clears throat> and these aren't all the reasons. Maybe you have some of your own that I only get near but don't speak about. But these are some of the reasons that occurred to me. First one is performance. I haven't done enough. This is an area where challenges come up for me, if I'm just being honest. Haven't done enough. Haven't prayed enough. Haven't read my Bible enough. Can't come, can't come right now. I know who I am. I'm a child of the house. I can come and sit at the table. But I'm not going to come just this minute because I haven't done enough. I haven't prayed. I haven't read my Bible. Holy Spirit told me to pray for that person. I didn't do it. I just got to get some stuff sorted out before I come and accept the invitation. No, guys. Let me encourage you, our invitation to the table is not revoked because of our performance. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to tell these guys, see what they think. Our invitation to the table is not revoked because of our performance. In Luke chapter 10, we've got Mary and Martha. I'm team Martha. (laughs) Probably shouldn't be, but I'm team Martha because I'm feeling her vibe, right? She's doing all the stuff. Jesus comes to her house. She's like, oh, I've got to get the food ready. got to clean up. Need enough seats for the people, right? Everything has to be. And Mary chooses to come and sit at Jesus' feet. Who cares? People can find the fridge, right? Figure it out. <laughs> Mary's, people will figure it out. Martha's like, got to do the stuff. That's me. Got to do the stuff. Make sure it's all right, ready to go. And Martha goes to Jesus and goes, hey, could you just like tell her to come help me? Because there's a lot to do. And she's slacking off. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Mary's chosen right. She's chosen to come and sit at my feet. I'm not going to take that away from her. Martha, you're worried and anxious about many things. But just come and see it. Jesus is saying to us today, stop doing all the things. Stop doing all the things and come and sit with me. Just come to the table that he's prepared for you and sit down. Another reason why we might not be accepting the invitation, again, not your whole life, not your salvation, just in moments why you might not accept the invitation. Guilt and shame. You don't know what I've done. I can't come and sit right now because it's going to be an ugly conversation or you'll be disappointed in me. Let me tell you this. This might be one of my controversial theories. It doesn't matter what you've done. Is it important how we treat people? Yes. Does our behaviour matter? Yes. Do our actions have consequences? Yes. Sometimes do you need to go and clean up a mess? Yes. But is your invitation to the table revoked? It's not. You are still a much-loved child of God. Absolutely still a much-loved child of God. You don't know what I've done. Judas was the treasurer and he was stealing money. Jesus had to know that. And I can't imagine a church dynamic 
where we know the treasurer is stealing money and our treasurer is not stealing money. But I cannot imagine... <laughs> I can't imagine not sacking him. That's insane to me. God, give me revelation of why that's good. He's stealing money and Jesus had to know that. And yet Jesus continued to invest in Judas for years. Continued to tell him truth about who he was. Continued to hang out with him. Continued to stay in relationship with him. Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And Judas was still part of the inner circle. And he was still invited to the Last Supper. Matthew 26, 20 through 21 says, When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. The twelve, right? Not the eleven. Judas is not kicked out still. And while they were eating, he said, One of you is going to betray me. So he knew this and he didn't, didn't say, Get out. Why? Because love has hope forever. Hope forever. Judas's invite into relationship with Jesus was not revoked because of his bad choices. That's incredible to me. You don't know what I've done. In John 4, Jesus spoke to the Samaritan woman at the well. Even though Jews don't speak to Samaritans, and even though this woman was socially disregarded, she's there by herself at the wrong time of day. Why are the other women not hanging out with her? Because of her behaviour, her choices. She's no good. Jesus speaks to her kindly. Gives her a word of knowledge about her life. For the purpose of restoration. He doesn't disregard her because of her history. And in her words, he tells her everything that she's done. And reveals to her that he's the Messiah... And then he places value on her by promoting her as the messenger back to the village. Right? Society views her as junk. Jesus speaks to her kindly, gives her a word of knowledge, and then says, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're looking for. You take the message and tell them. Who's going to listen to her? It turns out they did. In John 4, 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of her testimony. Now, her reputation is shot, right? But her invite into relationship with the Saviour wasn't based on her social status or her dating history. It's based on the fact that he wants a relationship with her. You don't know what I've done. Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do before he did it, right? He told him, you're going to deny me three times. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. We're besties. I'm not going to deny you. Yeah, you will. Three times. No, I don't know that guy. 
no, I'm not with him and I don't know what you're talking about. That's what Peter said about Jesus. If ever there was a reason for having your, your invitation to the table revoked, I feel like denying knowing Jesus has got to be at the top of the list. Does it not? But what did Jesus do after he was resurrected? Do we know what he did? He went and sought Peter out. He had a meal with him. He restored their relationship. Right? Come on. And he appointed Peter as a great leader. Our invitation to the table is not revoked because of some bad choices. Here's what God showed us through his actions. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He was handed over to die for our sins and he was raised to life. Why? To make us right with God. That's God's desire is that you be right with him. It's like, hey, forget, doesn't matter. Don't clean up your mess later, but like, just come and be with me. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because we have been made right in God's sight... God's view of you isn't what stops you coming to this table. It's your view of you. And if your view of you is not in line with what God says about you, I'll tell you which one of you is wrong. Does anyone want to guess? I encourage you to line your view of yourself up with what God's view of you is. We have been made right in God's sight. We have peace with God. This is not a place of judgment. This is not a place of punishment. You've been made right in his sight. Change your vision of yourself. You're already right with him. Just come to the table that he's prepared for you and sit down. The third barrier I want to talk about today that might be preventing you from coming and sitting here, sometimes, every time, something that might be getting in your way. Poor identity. I'm not good enough. Maybe you don't think you're good enough and maybe someone's told you that. I want to tell you a little story about my husband, JD. I haven't asked his permission because I just thought of it this morning. <laughs> JD couldn't swim. He tells this story himself. He couldn't swim. He decided to swim a 10K ocean marathon, as you do. So what do you do? You go get a coach. He went and got a coach who swims the English Channel, not just like once, but does multiple crossings. So he, got the, he does ultra marathons. And he got this guy and he said, OK, coach me. And the guy said, all right, show me your swimming. So he swam. And the coach said, you swim like a car with the doors open. <laughs> now, JD had already chosen to take on the identity of a marathon swimmer. 
I am a marathon swimmer who behaves like a car with the doors open. Okay? I'm a fish who behaves like a car with the doors open. Now, when someone says something bad to you, first, are they qualified to talk about it? Well, this guy swims the English Channel, so yeah, he's qualified to talk about it. Second, are they for you? This guy should have been for him because there's a lot of coaching fees <laughs> to fix that. <laughs> but are you letting it change what God says your identity is? J.D. had already decided he's a swimmer. So when he hears that, you swim like a car with the doors open, his choices are, I quit because I'm never going to do this. Or his choice is, how do I be less like a car? So he says to the coach, give me two things. Two things I can change to be more like a fish and less like a car. Well, shut the doors, do some shoulder mobility, change your body position in the water. Now you're more like a fish. So when someone gives you some feedback that's no good, what are you doing with it? Are you asking God, hey, what's my identity? Because his opinion is the highest opinion. And he's sitting down and giving up because someone said something not very encouraging to you? Or are you going, what can I do with this information to be more like who I've decided to be? Yeah? I'm going to go through some things now that Jesus never said. Jesus never said these things. I read, pretty much read all the Gospels this week looking <laughs> to make sure that Jesus did not say these things. <coughs> Jesus never said, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's not what he said in John chapter 8, when people brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery to him and they were looking for him to affirm and agree with them that she should be stoned. That's not what he said. We know that story. He said, let, let you with no sin throw the first stone. And then he waits. And then he says, where's your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus answered, neither do I. Go and sin no more. With great compassion, he releases her from the fatal consequences of what she's done. He doesn't say you should be ashamed of yourself. He says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus never said, never said, I can't be seen with you. You're such an embarrassment. So embarrassed by you. He never said that. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who rips people off, culturally despised, known to be a notorious sinner. He's so desperate to see Jesus as he's coming into the town, that he climbs up a tree to see if he can see him in the distance. And Luke chapter 19, verse 5 and 7, that's Luke chapter 19, verse 5 through 7, says, when Jesus reached the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, can't be seen with you. You're such an embarrassment. No. 
Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I want to hang out with you. Hey, let's talk. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and welcomed Jesus with joy. And when the people saw it, they all began muttering in discontent. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a notorious sinner. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want to spend time with you. And if you read that story, the result of Jesus spending time with him is that he changes his whole life. He repents, he turns around, he goes the other way, fixes his past mistakes. Jesus never said... I'm pausing because it's kind of funny. This one's been said to me, so... It's got a little bit of a barb in it for me. And maybe some of these have a little bit of a barb for you. Maybe someone said this stuff to you. They're wrong. Jesus never said, what on earth were you thinking? Are you stupid? Imagine if he did. That's insane. What on earth were you thinking, you stupid? That's not what Jesus said. In Luke 22, verse 51, when Peter chopped off the soldier's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think about it. He's been hanging out with Peter for three and a half years, telling him, this is how it's going to go. Yes, I'm here to sit on the throne as the king. Yes, I'm going to change the culture. Not the way you think, but that's what's going to happen. I'm here to save the world. And I'm going to be crucified and raised again. How many times do you think Jesus told Peter that? How many times do you think he explained it? And when it comes down to the pointy end, <clears throat> Peter acts impulsively and tries to change the course of Jesus' destiny. What did Jesus do? He said, no, 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 Stop. And he healed the man's ear. And I read this really interesting commentary that talked about what the penalty was for Peter based on this man's station in life. The penalty was death. And Jesus restored Peter from a death sentence. And then, so he fixes his mistake. No, 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 no. And then he took the time yet again to gently explain what God's plan was. No, 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 I'm going to the cross. I'm going to save the world. It's going to be awesome. Jesus never said, that's not good enough. How could I ever forgive you? He never said that. When Peter denied him, after the resurrection, Jesus sought him out. I already talked about this. He restored their relationship and he appointed him as a great leader. If you've got voices that are influential in your life and they're telling you stuff like this, that you're not good enough, what were you thinking? Are you stupid? Test those voices against what God says. And if you're not sure what God says, here's a very easy 
practical test you can do. 1 John 4 says, God is love. Love is described in detail in 1 Corinthians 13. If a voice in your life, maybe an authority, maybe someone you respect and love, is saying some stuff that hurts, just check if it sounds like patience. Just check if it sounds like kindness. Check if it sounds like it's full of hope. Because this is what love is. Check if it's believing the best of you. We can fix it. Check if it's accusing you. Because God doesn't accuse. Love doesn't accuse. Check if you're being reminded about your mistakes. Because the Bible says that God doesn't do that. So if you've got voices in your life, maybe it's your own voice in your head saying junk like that to you, just reject it. You don't need to partner with it. You are already a much-loved child of the house. You already have God's full acceptance and approval. And your invitation to this table is not revoked based on your inability or your failure to understand your full identity yet. It's not revoked because you don't know who you are yet. Jesus wants you to come to the table he's prepared for you and just sit down. You don't need to bring a list of stuff you've got to repent for. It's good to repent. But it's not, it's not a barrier that stops you from coming to him. Mitch, can I get you up on keys? Please. I want to encourage you not to let these things get in your way. Performance. That's my one. Maybe you feel like you haven't done enough. Your invitation to the table is not revoked based on your performance. Just come to the table that he's prepared for you and sit down. Guilt and shame. Maybe you have made some bad choices. That's okay. Ask for forgiveness. Go and clean it up. Those are good things to do. But just remember that your invitation to the table is not revoked based on your bad choices. Identity. Maybe you don't yet fully understand your identity as a much-loved child of God. Maybe your experience of being at the table is one of having it been made known you're a disappointment. And you're not. Maybe there's an influential voice in your life that's belittled you. It's not God's voice. Maybe you were raised in a culture where there's a hierarchy and you know your place. 
Honor's not at the table. Maybe it looks and sounds a little bit like honour, but it's got you believing a lie that you're not good enough to be seated here. If your experience at the table is one of criticism and ridicule, let me tell you, that's not what God's table is about. It's not the experience that the Father wants you to have. He wants to restore the experience of being at the table for you. Can I ask you to stand? And can I ask the ministry team to come forward? Just some leaders who can come and pray. He's chosen you to be part of his family. He's paid the ultimate price with his son's life in order to restore connection with you. He's a good father who gives good gifts to his children and his table is a safe place. He's inviting you to this table that he's prepared for you and he's asking you to just sit down and receive. Let's all close our eyes. something that I've said today has resonated with you and if something is just something else, something I've said or something else is getting in the way of you just sitting down every time or sometimes if there's some beliefs that you need to change about who you are I just invite you to place your hand on your heart acknowledge it to yourself take a moment to speak to God about it. He's a good God. He's a good Father. He wants relationship with you. Just ask him to help you remove that barrier. He will. It's who he is. God, we just thank you that you're with us and for us. We thank you that you made a way for us to be in relationship with you as much love sons and daughters of your family. Highlight to us any beliefs that are holding us back from receiving. And Holy Spirit, show us how to break them down. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the loudest voice. And if it doesn't sound like love, we know it's not you. Thank you that you made a way for us to come to this table. Thank you that you make it easier and easier every day. In Jesus' name, amen.